With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Today's conversation, Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. TNT Radio. We're from the Rocky Mountains of Denver, Colorado. My name's Charlie Robinson. Thanks for hanging out and getting weird with me for the next hour. We've got great guest, Miriam Hanain, Vanishing of the Bees director. She's going to talk about her new documentary that she has called The Real Timeline about George Floyd and what she found. Uh, it's a little bit different than the mainstream, you might uh, imagine. And also Ryan Christian from The Last American Vagabond is going to get into what's going on overseas in the Israel-Hamas situation. It's always uh, it's always great to connect with Ryan. He does a daily show over at The Last American Vagabond that um, focuses on the sort of things that we get into over here on TNT. And it's, uh, look, I, I spent, you know, I had a great Thanksgiving. It was fantastic. You do a little shopping, you know, you you get out there and you look at the prices at the grocery store. My goodness. I mean, I hate to, I'm not the first guy to notice this, of course, right? There's been plenty of other people that have seen the price inflation going on. But um, but listen, it's okay. Everything's fine. Joe Biden said, we're good. It's Bidenomics, baby. Come on. I mean, what do we, what do we have to worry about here? We've got, yes. Well, first they said there's no such thing as inflation. And then they said, well, okay, yes, there's there's inflation, but it's transitory, which means it's coming from there and then it's going out there, right? It's not staying. It's transitory. It's leaving. And then it stayed. And then they said, well, we might have to, um, well, maybe we will. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine. It's here. Fine. There's, there's inflation. You're right, but it's small and it's manageable and it's not affecting anybody. And then you go to the grocery store and then you go and you see, let's, let's just do the shopping basket test, right? You know, let's just take a look and see how much I used to buy and what that cost and what it looks like now. When prices go up a little bit, that's one thing. You can deal with that. Brands have been doing this forever. Shrinkflation, right? They, when you buy that bag of chips, you go, oh, there's a big bag of Fritos chips over there. And you go, look, it's, look how big this bag is. It's, it's almost like it's inflated with air. Wink. Yeah, it's completely inflated with air. And 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 when you grab the packaging and you take a look at the box of cereal that you used to buy, you know, you had uh, 2 years ago and then you compare it to the cereal today, looks the same. Box looks pretty much the same. Flip it over. Take a look at the back. Take a look how many grams are in it. And you go, "Oh my goodness, it looks like this is what they're doing." So this is nothing new. This is what companies do to try and hide the fact that they're Try and keep the prices at the same level, but at some point the dam breaks. You know, you just can't keep this charade going forever. And the Biden administration has taken to uh, bringing on journalists, respected, well-respected journalists, to to help them fight this information battle. You know, journalists from such esteemed outlets as the Washington Post, which definitely hasn't been busted lying to people all the time, uh, and from award-winning journalists like Taylor Lorenz, who basically had to leave Twitter because she was uh, uh, called out for her anxiety disorders that she promoted and the massive unadulterated lies that spew out of her mouth. But aside from that, the Biden administration said, you know who we really need to get the messaging out? 
It's the lady that everybody hates. Let's have her come on and talk about, well, actually, when you go to McDonald's, uh, those prices aren't exactly what you see. There's a little bit more to it than that. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's just use California as an example. We can take this and use a test run and see how things go because the pricing in California is set to ex exceed uh, anywhere in the nation because because uh, Gavin Newsom has decided that it's a good idea to pay minimum wage fast food workers a $20 an hour rate, okay? So all of you people out there that said, well, um, you know, yeah, eventually, eventually these jobs will will go away by, you know, the robots will come and, and, and flip the burgers for you. I'll tell you what, $20 an hour for all of your relatively unskilled labor working in fast food, that's going to give you the $20 hamburger that we've always joked about. And I'll tell you, there's some accountant there that's looking at a spreadsheet and he's saying, you know, once we get past that certain threshold, we go to robots. You know, we go to, we just, we just, that's just where it goes, right? We're, we're not going to, we're not going to mess around with uh, you, you're, you know, this guy didn't show up or the bus was late or his girlfriend dumped him or they're unionizing and they want better conditions. We're just going to hire robots, right? Robot, there's no, there's no problem with that because as we know, uh, robots are our friends. And I would never, ever think that, uh, uh, that we might get replaced by these, uh, um, by AI cyborgs, you know, like I saw Terminator, but uh, I, I never thought I would actually wind up living it in my lifetime. But it seems that, that we're pivoting uh, to a robot future and the irony that it's going to be all about the inflation that was created over the last decade. I'm not going to hang it all on Joe Biden, of course, but um, but for for many people, they will say, you know, you priced us out of the market. They went to robots flipping burgers. And from there, we found ourselves in this Terminator hellscape. It's a possibility. It's definitely a possibility. Yeah, presumably because, you know, everything these days needs to be safe and effective. On Sunday, the United States, Britain, and more than a dozen other countries jointly unveiled an international agreement to ensure Artificial intelligence systems remain safe from rogue actors and to assist developers with cybersecurity decisions. Here with the story, joining me is TNT Radio news producer, Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Awesome. Thank you so much, Charlie. Excited for this. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, this is fun. I don't know if you're a big fan of AI or not. We'll find out. Um this this new agreement, this is a historical thing, I believe. Um, there's a lot of countries involved. I think it's 18 total, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and uh, one of our favorite senior U.S. officials, uh, I'll tell you who that is, has described this as the first detailed international agreement on how to keep AI safe from rogue actors and pushed for companies to create AI systems that are, quote, secure by design, end quote. Who said it? Well, we'll see. Uh, as you mentioned, this is a 20-page document. It was unveiled just this Sunday. Uh, I was correct, 18 countries. They all agreed that companies designing and using AI need to develop and deploy it in a way that keeps customers and the wider public safe from misuse. Very important. The agreement is non-binding and carries mostly general recommendations, such as monitoring AI systems for abuse, protecting data from tampering and vetting 
software suppliers. Sounds nice. Still, the director of the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's right, CISA's Jen Easterly, said it was important that so, mon so many countries put their names to the idea that AI systems needed to put safety first. Easterly told Reuters, quote, this is the first time that we have seen an affirmation that these capabilities should not just be about cool features and how quickly we can get them to market or how we can compete to drive down costs. She said that the guidelines represent, quote, an agreement that the most important thing that needs to be done at the design phase is security, end quote. The agreement is the latest in a series of initiatives, few of which carry teeth by governments around the world to shape the development of AI, whose weight is increasingly being felt in industry and society at large. In addition to the United States and Britain, the 18 countries that signed on to the new guidelines include Germany, Italy, the Czech Republic, Estonia, Poland, Australia, Chile, Israel, Nigeria, and Singapore. The framework deals with questions on how to keep AI technology from being hijacked by hackers and includes recommendations such as only releasing models after appropriate security testing. It does not tackle thorny questions around the appropriate uses of AI or how the data that feeds these models is gathered. Fail. The rise of AI has fed a host of concerns, including the fear that it could be used to disrupt the democratic process, turbocharge fraud, or lead to dramatic job loss, among other harms. I think Charlie was just speaking upon that here in the opener. Europe is ahead of the United States on regulations around AI, with lawmakers there drafting AI rules. France, Germany, and Italy also recently reached an agreement on how AI should be regulated that supports, quote, mandatory self-regulation through codes of conduct, end quote, for so-called foundation models of AI, which are designed to produce a broad range of outputs. And of course, here in the United States, where I am based, the Biden administration has been pressing lawmakers for AI regulation, but a polarized U.S. Congress has made little headway in passing effective regulation doesn't that always happen? The White House has sought to reduce AI risks to uh, consumers, workers, and minority groups while bolstering national security with a new executive order just last month in October. So there's the report, Charlie. What do you think about all this? And what are your general thoughts about AI in, in general? Oh, what could possibly go wrong with the government being in charge of artificial intelligence? Yeah, when I see that Eric Schmidt, former head of Google, is now running the Pentagon's artificial intelligence program. That does not make me sleep well at night. I think that there's, like anything, like any technology, there's going to be some good parts, benefits to humanity. They'll sell that. They'll sell the benefits. They'll always do that. But of course, it's like a tool. Whoever's, you know, it depends on whose hand it's in, right? If the if you've got the hammer, uh, you know, I trust you with it. If somebody else has the hammer, I have questions. And given the fact that the governments of the world have done such a poor job over the generations of telling us the truth of about what they really want to do to us. Uh, I'm not sleeping well at night knowing any of this. This, this is, this is, you know, but of course they're going to save us from rogue actors. Okay. No, the rogue actors are probably what we're going to need in this situation. The, the, the problem I think is the government. This sounds crazy to me. 
Yeah, there's a little bit of projection there and the, the worries, uh, like the uh, like worrying about it destroying the democratic process. Well, I'm like, didn't the U.S. Democrats do a fine job of that last presidential election? Just saying, you know, we don't talk <laughs> about that. That we, that we know we're restoring. We're charting a course forward. We don't want to live in the past. That's the past. You know, mistakes were made. We're, we're, we're not. We're, we're past. We're, we're moving on <laughs> to, to a world in which, uh, you know, depending on which technocrat wants to set your social credit score or your uh, maximum allowable carbon uh that you're allowed to consume or or, or you know deem you uh, undesirable to society because you had a mean tweet on uh, on x or something like that i this is just the slipperiest of slopes when you allow the governments to get involved in this i mean i don't i don't know who i would trust really to be in charge of this this it seems like almost almost a godlike power in the current situation, the current scenario where we are here, where everything is technology driven and you know, your bank accounts are tied to it, this opens up the possibility for for real nefarious actions by some people that have a long history of being involved in nefarious actions. So I'm 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 watching. I'm nervous. I'm not freaked out yet, but given that the governments are are seeking to legalize their authority to run this operation, I'm. I've seen, I've seen this play before. It never ends well for we the people. Right, that's certainly a concern, Charlie. Um, and you know, as scary as artificial intelligence already is, it gets even scarier when, as you mentioned, the governments get their hands involved in it. Right? I mean, that's like the worst case scenario. Um, but there, there is this weird giant disconnect, a schism, a back and forth about the the conversation about how dangerous artificial intelligence is. I mean. Elon Musk, of course, has been issuing plenty of warnings about this since before it was cool to issue warnings about AI. Am I right? Um, and then, of course, recently we've had Gary Gensler sounding the alarm over AI just last month. I don't know if you caught wind of this, but he said that a financial crisis stemming from the widespread, widespread use of AI is, quote unquote, nearly unavoidable without, of course, swift intervention by regulators, i.e. the government. So only government can ever save us from these these compounding problems, Charlie. It's a narrative they constantly sell to us. And I I, re I refuse to accept that personally. Um, and then, but the, the disconnect about it is if it's as dangerous as everybody says it is, why on earth here in America would we put Kamala Harris in charge and make her the AI czar? I mean, come on, please. It can't be that scary. Oh right? boy. It's, this is, this is the clown show that we're living through. You grab a seat, grab your popcorn, try to have a good sense of humor about where these things are going but keep your eyes open it's definitely a show it the whole thing feels uh feels very inauthentic to me you're right when kamala harris is in charge of anything i mean the last time i it, she's gonna get up there on stage and talk to you about time and space and yellow school buses and cackle uncontrollably it's artificial intelligence maybe she's ai have we ever considered that and it's a possibility she doesn't seem human to me she's very inauthentic so i wonder if we just rip the the kamala mask off and it's just uh you know it's a reptilian or something under there possibly yeah, by the way, real quick, in case you didn't know, in just a couple of days, November 30th would mark the full year since OpenAI released its chat GPT to the public. So we've been living with artificial intelligence chat GPT for a whole year thus far. And last time I checked, the world hasn't fallen apart yet, Charlie. Well, the day is not over yet, Ruckus, as we know. Well, on the other side of the break, 
We'll bring in Ryan Christian from uh, Last American Vagabond. This is TNT Radio. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year and we had a farm murder on average every fifth day um, but over the last few months both of those numbers have picked up murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the three or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. website tntradio.live check it out today's news talk radio it's the coolest tnt
We're back with the Charlie Robinson Show. If you want to connect with me, my email address is charlierobinson at tntradio.live. You can follow my work. Um, um, my podcast, Macroaggressions, is out there as well if you're interested in checking that out. Over the years, I've been fortunate enough to have our next guest on my show as a to get into all kinds of governmental Oh, governmental issues. I'm trying to look for the polite way to say it. International wars, international um, diabolical international policy, I guess. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, it's tough to know where to go to find good information these days. It really is. And you need to you know, supplement what you get uh, for, from your traditional sources. Actually, if you can move away from the mainstream, you should. You probably have already. And start to look at some places, some other websites or people that you maybe haven't heard of before to see what they think of things and see how they're tackling these issues. When I go to thelastamericanvagabond.com and read what Ryan and his team is putting together over there, it's like... I have a DeLorean and I can go about 18 months into the future and I can read a newspaper if they even exist. I can get some information and then I can drag it back to my current timeline. So without further ado, the host of The Last American Vagabond, my friend, Ryan Christian. Hi, Ryan. Good to see you. How are you, man? I'm good, man. You know, it's it's good to see you having more things going on and, and being invited on the show. I'm, I'm honored to be here. But, you know, it's funny. I, it's like I try not to say the same. It's like you want to say I'm great, except things are terrible. So I'm not. But it's like <laughs> things considered is the common response. Right. But I'm, I'm glad yeah. to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. Well, you're you're always doing outstanding work on for American foreign policy in particular. Mm -hmm. And you've been all over this situation in the Middle East. And I'm curious because we, we we're we're now in a in a ceasefire air quotes. Right. Mm -hmm. Those, uh, who's in charge of you know when it starts when it stops it yeah look call me a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist but i didn't i i couldn't help myself but notice that the four-day ceasefire kind of overlapped with the american four-day thanksgiving and, mm -hmm. and there was some there in and i thought well that's a good way to not have death and destruction and murderous rampaging on the nightly news right you're there's there's right. nothing going on we've we've called the timeout it's halftime is it ha is it really halftime in this war or are we just uh, or did they you know just call a timeout uh, in the f first part of the first quarter here well i think it's important to like the reason you put it in quotes i'm sure your audience is well aware is that th this is not a ceasefire by any definition of the word any historical use of it it is at best a new thing by the way some kind of pause without any real structure to it other than the agreements which have already been violated by israel more than once i've pointed out but so th this to me feels like an a a, a desperate necessity right they're at a point where the world across the board other than the governments that support the zionist agenda and people the sycophants for israel and zionism in general are across the board are, are calling this what it is and this is by the way not to overshadow the crimes that were committed on october 7th they all matter the point is that it's obvious that what's going on against gaza is a genocide by every metric by every expert by every un rapporteur by every you know every group as i keep saying oxfam unicef the united nations amnesty human rights watch historically every group that they have told us to look to to be able to discern the truth about what is and what isn't a genocide or a war crime 
all of them are calling this genocide, right? Across the board. But then you get the Bidens of the world and the rest of them, you know, even now meekly kind of falling into the middle of it. But to me, this seems like that awareness is unexpected. The Israeli government, the Zionist agenda, the intelligence apparatus is kind of blown away, I think, about how will how people saw through this, how clumsy their own propaganda was. But I think this is about trying to pretend that they're finally being driven to a ceasefire in the moment or pause, whatever they want to call it, now that they feel like they have to do so. They, they from the, And it's important to point out, from day one, first week, Hamas has had this on the table. This has been admitted by Haaretz, by Times of Israel, by international organizations. Even Vice News wrote about it. They've had the agreement for a hostage exchange from the first week. Netanyahu now publicly has said no to that. Every single time it brought it was brought up, we want to take out Hamas first. Until now, they suddenly step in and go, oh, okay, well, you know, and by the way, the whole time arguing Hamas wasn't offering that. So this, there's a level of dishonesty to this whole thing that everybody can see. Then finally stepping into it. So back to your point about the pause of the ceasefire, I, I definitely think this is about trying to take advantage of them losing both the information war and arguably on the ground as well and, and taking advantage of that. But your point about Thanksgiving is interesting to me. I quite frankly think this is more so about the American Western in specific Western in general, but specifically the American audience and their perception of what's going on. Thanksgiving was obviously where most Americans weren't going to be paying attention, right? So I think the important point is where, you know, that's the good time to pretend we're pausing, even though a lot of really terrible things happened during that time frame, which we can talk about and even into what's going to happen next and whether we're still in this supposed pause. But that's kind of what I think this is about. I think everyone sees yeah. what's happening and this is trying to damage control the whole thing. Well, it feels a lot like the Ukraine-Russia situation where there were offers on the table of like, well, let's wrap this thing up uh, months right into it. And and right. then Boris Johnson flies in and, and next thing you know, they're ripping everything up and you go, well, wait a second. You, you, you can't tell us that you're 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 an advocate for peace and you're trying to wrap this up and you don't want war and you want because, the, you know, they had an exit strategy and, and the 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 door was shut as soon as the American empire and the British monarchy got involved right. and sent their lackeys over there to try and throw a monkey wrench in this whole thing. And, and by all accounts, they did a very good job of that. We've got Ryan Christian from The Last American Vagabond with us. Let's dip out for a second for the news. What brings you here? News. News entirely. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Negotiators are pushing Israel and Hamas to extend their current ceasefire beyond the fourth and final day originally agreed upon on Monday. The French government has issued a plea against vigilantism in the wake of the slaying of a teenager in rural France by a group reported to have shouted, stab white people. Two Chinese fighter jets were monitored orbiting a Philippine aircraft, participating in patrols with Australia in the South China Sea, but did not cause any untoward incident, Manila said on Sunday. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then... Dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Oh. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. We're back with Ryan Christian from The Last American Vagabond. I, I wonder how much of this is the Biden administration pulling strings and how much of this is the Trilateral Commission pulling strings? Because I see a lot of those names of Blinken and Susan Rice right. and 
Jake Sullivan and these guys, they all, you know, you have to renounce your membership to the Trilateral Commission as you rotate into actual government. But that's just put on ice temporarily. We know what they're they're right. doing the bidding of of this devious NGO. I think a lot of these NGOs are are the ones maybe driving the Biden bus. And uh, right. I wonder what do you think the role is of of guys like that, like Blinken in this? Because by all accounts, when Blinken goes anywhere, he's basically laughed out of the room. Do they? It, 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 I've never seen such a credibility problem with mm-hmm. United States officials as we have right now currently it did that you know whether it's G dressing down of you know our administration or failing to show up for things or showing up late or you know whatever it is I, I mean say what you will about the Bush family but I feel like none of this stuff would have happened under the Bush family you know they would get run a tight ship and none of this disrespect would be allowed but with Biden it's like it feels like it feels like clearly somebody else is in charge. Who's who's running this operation? Uh, Biden, the Biden crew. Is it is it Obama from the shadows? What say you? Well, I mean, if it, I think right now, what's obvious, I I could give you my thoughts and opinions and assumptions and guesses on what you know who's in control, and I'm sure we could probably get reasonably close. But I think what's obvious right now is the Zionist influence, the Zionist project, the colonial settler settler project of Zionism. And its influence over all of these different governments. I mean, how else can you explain somebody like Biden or whatever the administration hemorrhaging support from the moment this started to now? Like every, it's very public. Everyone's pointing at it. And yet not only not stopping, but all, g- continuing to say 40 beheaded babies, like things that we all have coll- even CNN twice apologized for that story. Like I, that's like unprecedented. Right. And yet they still continue to go after this. So, I mean, for me, it's it's more so about there's a lot of different groups, as we know, that they kind of fluctuate through. But I think what's obvious is that this is about a, a, a larger kind of structure control. And you could say trilateral. I genuinely think the Zionist aspect of this is very, very important to all of this. And that's why I think people like Blinken and tr- obviously Biden himself, proud Christian Zionist, even though those words, I think, are completely incongruent. You know, I think that's really what this is about. Now, I, what I think I see from the beginning of this is a lot of people think, and rightly so, wonder whether or not this whole thing is a part of a larger agenda. And that I, I just think it's more about the fact that this was something that happened. Maybe above, I can get into the false flag aspect if you'd like to, but rather that this was not expected essentially with all of the fallout and that this is the Zionist agenda simply pulling on all of its strings and all of its calling in all of its favors to get all these governments to toe this line. You know, that that's ultimately what I think. And that's why it's so, to your point about credibility, I think this would be the same no matter who was in power, the Bush family, anybody else, because these governments, so these, let's just say the families are just the two-party paradigm side of it. They've always, as we all see, have been lockstep with support for Israel across the board. I think yeah. what's happening now is that Israel's Zionist base, and that doesn't mean all the people in Israel or even all the government for that matter. I think that most of the Zionist or Israeli government is pretty problematic. But my point is that the Zionist aspect of this and that which is really being exposed now, and people are finally finding the courage to be able to call this out, which is not racist. It's a political party, right? This is all these conflation. Right. But that they had this, let's just say it was the Bush family. It's Zionist actions, the genocide being committed, the lies they're putting forward, really clumsy fashion, things that are being broken down. Even BBC catches them in some lie about the Shifa hospital, right? And that is waking people up to this. Like really average people in the middle of this that don't really care too much, but 
that don't have a side, right? That step in and they go, okay, who am I supposed to listen to? So they hear Biden. They say Biden's saying this is okay and this is the right thing to do. But then they look at anybody, as I said before, that they've classically been told to look to, the UN, Oxfam, UNICEF, Oxfam, and and they're all telling you genocide. So that person is now really confused, right? They're super confused. And that makes them start to go, okay, what else can I look at? That used to never happen. So now they're looking at people like us. and, And all of a sudden this gets crazy. And now you see the reputations of the West in general, the United States, France, Britain, being dragged down with it because they're willing to support it because they don't care about human rights. It's about an agenda. So whether it was Bush or anybody else, I think that's what we're seeing happen. But one last point to the larger point of it, I think that these groups are are a, as, as Whitney Webb always talks about, sort of the tries, you know, supranational, multinational intelligence apparatus that overlaps a lot of different countries. And I think the Zionist aspect is just a very prominent part of that. You know, going back to yeah. Britain, and we could get into that too. That, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, for sure, that they the, there's a conflation between when you start to criticize Zionism, people say, "Well, you can't say that about the Jews," and you go, "No, no, 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 no. This is that would be like me saying criticizing the Republicans and someone saying, "How dare you say that about Christians?" And you're like, "What? Exactly." And yeah, I get you. There, there's some overlap there. Um, there's an article today in Al Jazeera: disease could kill more in Gaza. And the bombs. That's according to the World Health Organization. Not exactly an institution that has a ton of credibility in my book, but even they, to your point, even they are saying, this is going to be bad. You think the bombs are, are horrible, and they are, And but we know what happens in the aftermath of war. Well, I shouldn't say that. We we really don't know what happens in it. We, we theoretically right. understand. We know that there's, that disease spreads and that Lack of water, lack of food, lack of medicine, things like that, lack of power. This is a catastrophe. Where what's the finish line for this, Ryan? Where where do we where do we end? Where does what's enough for Netanyahu? Where's the line where he says, "Okay, there's I've 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 seen enough blood," or is there there or is there any? There's no line this guy won't cross, right? That, that, yeah, that's where I feel this is at. I mean, if you had to include Netanyahu, I, there, it would be a different response. You know, what would be too much for the world? I think that's I think we've passed that line a long time ago. And I think that's why most average people are calling this out. And that's why we're seeing this false ceasefires and actions because they know they've lost. If you want to make it about just the U.S. government, I think we've also already crossed that line. They're just so desperately intertwined with this government that they need to maintain whatever agreements. It's like Trump saying we're going to overlook Saudi Oh, totalitarianism because oil, you know, they're just not telling us that. But for Netanyahu, there is no line. I mean, they, they, they've made this clear over the years that this is about every, I mean, th- I've always made this point. What Israel says is different than what, whether Trump or, or Biden or the U.S. government says they say. And it's ridiculous. It's very obvious. They want a two-state solution, but here is most of their cabinet going, we will never, ever allow that. Like right now, it's just really dumb that they play this game. So my point is that they are always on the record and have been for a very long time that they don't want these people there. They don't want any Palestine, any Palestinians. They want to remove them from the area and everything they're doing, including the 2017 decisive plan for Smotrich, which is basically the plan that they're now using again that was leaked, and even WikiLeaks has confirmed, that's about driving them into the Sinai Desert, moving to the south and moving them over. It's This this is ethnic cleansing and genocide. And, and the idea that we... If there was ever a line, we have to argue that was already crossed. The idea that you're going to kill 20,000 people, six, 7,000 children, I mean, where it's gotten to is it's, it's obscene. 
right? And I think bringing this back to an earlier point, going to something like the Oslo Accords, which I think most average Americans are aware of, the prime minister at the time, Yitzhak Rabin, who was really Arafat and basically trying to create this, this peace deal. I argue even then this wasn't an honest engagement, but we have to remember that Netanyahu was the one who basically incited the violence that ended up getting that person killed. And even Haaretz made that argument in the newspaper. You know, he tried to come out and act like he wanted peace afterward, but that is what effectively killed what would have stopped or allowed some semblance of a two-state solution idea. And then what did Netanyahu do immediately after be, after becoming prime minister? Rapid settlements that even the U.S. government said were illegal and they do not want. Right, So this is Netanyahu has never wanted a peace plan. He has never wanted anything other than a one Jewish lone state for the Jews alone. That, that's his exact words. Remember when a, a TV reporter said, no, it's all equal here for Arabs. Netanyahu came up and said, no, it's for the state for the Jews alone. And that was also reported by Haaretz. It's wild. Wow. It's a crazy world that we're living in. These people would tell you what they want to do. If you just listen to them, they're very open about it. They're psychopaths. That's Ryan Christian from The Last American Vagabond. Thanks, Ryan. We appreciate you. Go check out his work over at thelastamericanvagabond.com. Back on the other side of this break with Miriam Hanane. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week, Donald Trump took to Truth Social to spell out why he believes it's imperative that voters pull the lever for him over Joe Biden in a little less than a year from now. The stakes in this election could not be higher. Next November, you have a choice between war, poverty, and weakness under crooked Joe Biden, or peace, prosperity, and strength under President Donald J. Trump. Just three years ago, our economy was booming, the world was safe, and America was strong. And now? Under crooked Joe Biden, the economy is in a shambles and the world is going up in flames. Real incomes have gone down by $7,400 per family. Under crooked Joe, gas prices are four, five, six, and $7 a gallon. Cumulative inflation is nearly 20%, and mortgage rates are pushing a brutal 7%, 8%, 9%, 10%, and you can't get the money. And that's not the worst part. We have war in Europe, we have wars in the Middle East, and we are stumbling into World War III. That's what's going to happen with this leadership, because they don't know what they're doing. The contrast could not be more stark. And all of what you just heard couldn't be more true. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Hi, I'm Abel. I often forget to mention that he's an amputee because Abel will try any activity he can. My arm helps me with basically everything. He doesn't see what he can't do, he sees what he can do. Yeah, okay. this is helping. The War Amps has just given him the ability to do all the activities every kid can do. When you donate to the War Amps, you help kids like me. Thank you! If you can't believe what you're hearing, get the straight talk from Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Charlie Robinson Show. It is my great pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, a friend of mine. She's the director of Vanishing of the Bees. She is an investigative journalist and author, one of the most tenacious reporters that doesn't have a problem sticking her nose in places where they don't want her to stick it. It's Miriam Hene. And hey, Miriam, how are you? Good to see you again. Charlie, 
happy to be here. Talk about my favorite topic, George Floyd. Well, it's been in the news lately. Uh, Derek Chauvin's situation, you know, I'd like to say I'm surprised that somebody shanked him in prison, but I'm really not. Given what we've been through over the last two weeks, where there have been real questions about the actual cause of death of George Floyd to the normies out there, you and I know what's going You know, we, we've talked about this before. They all of a sudden started to have this epiphany. Hey, maybe, maybe the official story isn't so official after all. And then what do you know? The main guy gets stabbed in prison. It's almost like it was straight out of, a, I don't know, the Godfather or something. The only surprise to me was that he lived. I mean, typically these people don't, don't, uh, don't live to uh, tell any tales, as they say, dead men tell no tales, but uh, dead men in prison, apparently, do they even show up on the prison registry? Because you made a phone call, you did what you do, which is make some calls. Where'd that get you? Yeah, where did it get me? So just to say that I've also made a movie, my second film is The Real Timeline, and yes. it straight up um, lays out what happened from 7.30 to 9.30. So in the same month, The Fall of Minneapolis has come out, a film on the right, and Derek Chauvin's Supreme, his appeal case was rejected by the Supreme Court, and now he gets shanked. So what do we really know about this? I called the prison, I called the police, the police, and I'm now calling the district attorney's office, and I call the prison rather, and the police to see if he indeed got shanked, where is the report to show that the police showed up, that he was taken to the hospital. So what do we know about this? And just to explain to the audience, Reuters or AP Associated Press usually put out a wire, and then all the prostitutes and the parrots do what they do, which is not report any original reporting and make calls. So why, when I called the hospital that was named, it turned out that there was there's no patient with that name. Now, I also called his lawyer, Gregory Erickson, his appeal lawyer, which people can read on my Substack to what he said. But I will tell you that apparently even the parents do not know the status of Derek um, from Monday. Maybe things have changed today, but we do not know the assailant. We do not know the extent of the injuries, and it's all a little fishy to me. Yeah, the whole thing is fishy to me. You you sent me your film, The Real Timeline. I watched that, and before that even came out, you you sent me the raw footage of the of the security cameras, and I I watched like a like a lunatic for 45 minutes watching these watching what he was doing from this vantage point that nobody else had this this very interesting camera angle that you could see him milling around doing things going inside the store you know inside of cup foods and 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 chit-chatting the the narrative that the mainstream press went with does not seem to be anchored in reality once you start take a look at the videos you you that becomes obvious but is it even possible in this hyper sensitive supercharged environment that even if it were to be discovered that the entire case was a fraud and it became 
would they even take the additional steps of overturning that because the so much of where what we're experiencing right now was launched out of that summer of 2020 with the black lives matter and that in the the rage and all of that fueled this whole you know woke ideology it's not it wasn't the only thing but of course it was part of this and it really set them on a course that if they were to have to ever go back and deny that or change the story oh what would that even do to society but they're already backpedaling I mean, it's being presented as though his overdose in fentanyl is something new, and it's like literally three and a half years old. It's not new in any which way, but I think the name of the game is the push-pull between the left and the right. And so in reality, because of the fall of Minneapolis, uh, Liz Collin is married to Lieutenant Kroll. He was the, the Trump-leaning um head of the union that had to resign. I, I believe that they tried to leave a pig's head on um, his doorstep, except they showed up at his wrong wrong home. But the point is that it's now going the other way. Um, the pendulum is swinging back to the right and it's coming to light. Like in the fall of Minneapolis, it shows that the police force, which we also knew was abandoned, but the movie does not question who gave these orders? Why did Fry and Walsh and Ellison and these pol politicians decide to uh, just abandon the precinct and leave these officers to their own defenses? Where are they getting their um, directives from and to what purpose? So uh, my book and my film, well, the film talks about just the actual timeline. The book that will be coming out in the summer by Logosofia has a hundred times more truth bombs and foyas, and this is like a, a deep dive forensic investigation. Um, but I would say that the fall of Minneapolis, the fact that the the news is covering this film is still within the narrative. Because if we say this is really a money laundering operation with the complicity of the government in order to usher in a color revolution and both sides are complicit, that's not very welcomed. Right. Right. Yeah. You have to pick your spots, right? You have to pick one, find the flaws in one side versus the other. The, um, what what's the relationship? What's going on with the attorneys for George George Floyd? Are they 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 were sketchy from the beginning? I never got a good feeling about them. They seem like the, you know, it was very Al Sharpton esque of the whole thing. You know, here the prosecutors, the prosecutors. Well, no, I was talking about uh, the the yeah the prosecutors. Well, the the attorneys, the family attorneys for for George Floyd, the the ones that were oh, yeah. raising money well, yes. for was that Benjamin Crump? Was it him? Yeah, Benji. Yeah, Benji is the of course um, law abiding civil rights attorney who's really an ambulance chasing shyster, and uh, then there is the whole gang of prosecution that were very much uh, like for instance it's now come to light uh, we knew this as well that the manual the actual technique the maximum restraint technique which was their training the prosecution literally scrubbed the image and um it, so it wasn't allowed as an exhibit um actually it was allowed as an exhibit but it wasn't public 
to the jury. And so they're very corrupt. The, the lawyer for Derek now, the appeals lawyer, is a different firm than Eric Nelson that uh, represented represented him. And once he was found guilty, then he no longer has the support of the police force because now he's a felon. Um, so like I said, the, the current attorney literally told me that his Derek's mom does not know the status of Derek. Now, if they're just telling me that to protect the family, perhaps I find that I don't even know why you would say that it's so ridiculous. Um, but it, it remains to be seen what's going to happen. So in my Substack, I exposed the, inf- the information that the lawyer gave me. But it seems that, you know, he might get let off. And, and because of the evidence coming forth from these officers, which kind of testified in a movie saying, we, we lied. Arredondo, who's no longer the police chief, outright lied. We knew that if you were paying attention to the trial, but now it's coming to surface. I guess, you know, old news is news to the mainstream now. I was just talking, we just had Ryan Christian in the first uh, segment. And I was talking about how when I watched The Last American Vagabond, it's like living 18 months in the future. It's kind of like that with your work as well. You, you're you all over these topics. Everyone, you write about it you or, or make films about it. People go, well, there's Miriam being crazy again. And then they have to eat their words. Like two years later, they're, they're going, oh, look at it. Look at what we've discovered. And you're going, you're waving your arms going, excuse me. I had this from the get-go. You were so so in deep in this that you had a prison phone call relationship with Maurice, right? His friend. That is that. How is that going? Is that still a an existing relationship, or what is the status oh, yeah. with with him? I I haven't heard from Maurice in um, in a month, but I do keep in touch with him. I keep in touch with his mom, and I had accidentally reached out to Maurice because I had a suspicion he was a snitch and I did a FOIA and then I manifested a a exclusive interview on the third year anniversary and then the very next day Maurice was arrested and it was suggested to me by Joel Gilbert who's been uh, helped me a lot he's the filmmaker behind Michelle Obama 2024 and Trayvon Martin hoax which I highly recommend but he's like did you ever think that maybe it's because of you that he's in jail. And that sounds grandiose, um, you know, but I don't mean to be arrogant. Um, He was a loose end. And so therefore he needs to be locked up. Yeah. They have a tendency of taking care of loose ends that, that throw monkey wrenches into the narratives. And this has been a very important narrative for the global establishment. You know, the George Floyd case is, is it's, it's funny to me because there there was righteous anger for for some of these shootings in the past. I mean, where was the parade, the statue, and the rioting when Tamir Rice, 15-year-old, was shot two seconds after a police officer showed up on the scene? There was nothing. So it's funny and weird. I shouldn't say it's funny. Maybe it's just it's 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 sad, I guess, if, if I'm being yeah. honest, that that that's some of the people that are legitimately terrorized by these yeah. out of control police officers they're they vanish there's no there's right. no vigils for them and yet then the other people the ones that are flawed flawed human beings but serve a very important narrative rodney king 
George Floyd, you know, they're elevated to deity like status. It seems backwards to me. Right. And and what are the agendas that these events are allowing to usher in, right? So, you know, 9-11 allowed for the Patriot Act. And while, for instance, I'll give you an example, leading up to the Derek Chauvin trial, MIT did an investigation and, and discovered that there were all these cameras, of course, always positioned for public safety, but in reality, is a surveillance state, a police state. If you've seen Dinesh D'Souza's film, that is very much what we're ushering in. So they use these events to bring forth their agenda, and incre- incrementalism is the name of the game. And because people, you know, it takes a lot of diligence to look and do all these FOIAs, and, you know, maybe someone doesn't have that luxury. But that's all I want to do is really like, focus, go deep dive and connect these dots. And also as a journal journalist, it's become harder and harder to find the information due to the ministry of truth. And they're very active in real time scrubbing of information. Now, back to Derek, you would think that if there was a stabbing, either the district attorney's office or the police were called forth. So I'm in the midst of trying to find if there's anything on record, because it's been you know, it's so convenient that this dropped during a long weekend. So if I'm calling the hospital and they don't even know that there's someone under that name, or I call the prison and they don't have an inmate with that name, okay, maybe he's using a different name, but it's a it's a small medium security prison with only 392 inmates. So and then you and then I ask them, so how are these journalists? getting this information and if i'm a journalist why am i not privy to that information is it a script and to what point so it's very interesting to see how this will pan out and if derek chauvin will end up a free man along with the other officers who i don't look also charlie we we there's nuance and and you have to distinguish even whatever you feel about derek or george we still have a constitutional right to a fair trial. And in this day and age, it seems that that's non-existent. Yeah, it's sad. It's it's changed uh, over our lifetimes. It used to be that the bad guys went to jail for what they did. And now it seems that the like the bad guys are running the system glorified. Yes, all of that. Um, You and I are going to be meeting up in October. And Acapulco, Mexico, again at Anarcapulco 2024. I'm super excited to see you there. Super, It'll be a great I'm time. I'm super excited. I'm super excited. I'm glad that we can bring attention to Bonfil. And uh, I know that yeah. the people on the ground, boots on the ground, have come together. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited. And I invite everyone to come to Anarcapulco 2023. 2024. 2024. <laughs> 2024. There, there goes that DeLorean again. That's... You're going to get back in the DeLorean and go back to 2023. We had a good time there. What's the best place for people yeah. to find you, Miriam, and to support your your work and to subscribe to your Substack? Yes, please do buzz on over to honeycolony.com, miriamhenane.com, and people can read my Substack. I have an exclusive with the... Derek's attorney and I'll be it's a developing story so that is the best place to find me 
Thank you, Miriam. We appreciate you. you. I'll see you in Mexico in a couple of months. That's it for me. Thanks, everybody. Don't burn the place down while I'm gone. I'll see you next tomorrow.